electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, brace yourself. The markets are spooked, and Fed Chair Jay Powell says you better get used to it. Our own Mike Santoli. He may have been presenting a case that a recession is what's needed as opposed to what might be uh, an unfortunate side effect. The nasty fight against inflation and the pain still to come for investors and consumers with economist Mohamed Alarian. He finally sent the correct message. He should have done that months ago. Plus, we're heading out of this world. Well, soon. NASA's Artemis launch that didn't, and the Moon and Mars exploration just around the corner. Astronomer Derek Pitts. If you want to send humans to Mars at some point in the future, then we need to do some serious in-situ training, and that in-situ training is going to happen on the Moon. It's August 29th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand by three, two, one, here's Mike. Here. Good morning and welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Mike Santoli, along with Joe Kernan. Becky and Andrew are off today. Spending some time with us this morning is CNBC contributor Stephanie Link. Uh, Steph, great to see you. Good to see you. We will break down Friday's market and uh, Monday mornings and all the rest of it. The stock market arguably uh, did react a lot more dramatically Friday uh, than the rest of the markets did, the bond markets. Uh, of course, today's uh, comes after it was the worst day since May in the uh, in the S and P 500, dropping a thousand points in the Dow, three percent. All the major averages down more than four percent, as I mentioned. You heard it. It was the worst day since May. And it's all because chair of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, said there's more pain to come in the battle against inflation. We are tracking for more than a 3% decline, about 3.4% in the S&P 500. This ugly sell-off, what could be a reality check for investors? In a speech, it was mini, literally eight minutes, from the Economist meeting in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, Jay Powell said that even after a series of four consecutive interest rate increases, the U.S. Central Bank will likely hike rates again come mid-September. Inflation, after all, is still near 40-year highs, so the Fed won't be letting up, even if this aggressive policy prompts an economic slowdown. While higher interest rates, slower growth, and softer labor market conditions will bring down inflation, they will also bring some pain to households and businesses. These are the unfortunate costs of reducing inflation. But a failure to restore price stability would mean far greater pain. What the markets still need to know, though, is how much the Fed will raise rates. Half a percent or three quarters of a percent? We won't know until the Fed's next meeting a little under a month away. Something we will know sooner, though, is jobs data. We'll be watching this Friday, the first Friday of the month, Jobs Friday, to see if hiring slowed in August. It's a key indicator, along with housing and the personal consumption and consumer price indices, to see if the economy is slowing down. But as you heard, power 
Powell won't let up, even in the face of a downturn. According to Powell, inflation is the biggest issue facing the economy. Here's some more context from Mike Santoli, Stephanie Link, and of course, Joe Kernan. So Steph, uh, I guess a quick take on Friday. Um, stock market seemingly hoping for a different message, but you also wonder if that's all that was going on. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that this Fed pivot that people were talking about in June and July just wasn't the case, right, obviously. And he told us that on Friday. Um, and, and basically, they're behind the curve on inflation. We've been talking about inflation forever, right? They got to get ahead of the curve. And, and he basically kind of, I think he was really a lot more hawkish. He kind of scared to talk about, like, having pain yeah. in, in households and in businesses. Like, that's just not something I've ever heard a Fed chairman talk about, right, or say. A prolonged period of below-trend growth was the way he characterized what might be required. I mean, I think the takeaway is he may have been presenting a case that a recession is what's needed as opposed to what might be uh, an unfortunate side effect. He's already, if he's already very sensitive to causing pain, it almost makes me think that then I start worrying about whether he's got the resolve to really do it because it's already on his I, I mean, I was thinking a pivot near term might have been what the market thought it wanted, but we could have ended up, if, yeah. if he had been more dovish, we could have ended up in the same place, Absolutely. maybe 1,500 yeah. points. And, and it's probably the wrong thing to do. And again, we've got the Arthur Burns, um, sort of the summary of everything that happened in the 70s back in, in the Wall Street Journal, and it's all true. You can think you've got inflation licked, and then if, it's, if it really is a wage price and, a, and it's systemic, it can be horrific. One of the things that didn't get enough attention, I think, on Friday was the core PCE. Yes. Right? 4.6%. That's huge. I mean, the goal for the Fed is two. Right. So I don't think that even got any, really, well, any coverage. Arguably, though, it was, it, was, it was a little cooler than expected. Okay, yes. And so right. if, you're, if you're looking for multiple months of, of improvement on inflation, arguably it fits into that script a little bit. By the way, in terms of the Arthur Burns thing and whether he has the result, everything Powell says about inflation right now, he frames it as this is the populist uh, right thing to do for the overall uh, country. In other words, right. you know, there was a time when getting unemployment as low as possible was the thing to do for the average right. person. Today, the thing to do for the average person is to make sure inflation becomes contained. So I think that's setting the ground. All the that. anecdotes that we've seen on who, because we don't like, it's like, for us, it's, we're doing the, I do the self-checkout, and it's like, wow, that's a lot. But I'm not thinking, right. I need to put that back. Right. And there are people that, that, you know, what do I want, gas? or So that's, that's, not, that's not hard uh, to see that he would be. Well, even rents. Look at rents. 7.4% yeah. year over year in July. I mean, that's a huge number, right? Rents, wages. Right. We know those are the stickier parts of inflation. But now you have natural gas is at 14-year highs. Oil has and stopped high. going down. Food is up 13% year over year. I mean, this is real stuff. I like the 4.6 because I've been asking guest after guest, give me the number we need to go above on the two-year. I want... Yeah. It's not eight and a half. Right. It's a PPICPI, PCE, all these, it's alphabet soup. But which one is the real one that, that the Fed needs to focus on to get rid And, and I, you know, four, six sounds a lot better than eight and a half. Because I know they're measuring no, different that's right. things. They're measuring different things. Right. But if I knew all I had to do, when you read this, inflation was 11. So I don't, you know, if we get to 11. I think, I mean. Four, I, four, four five. Four, and six, one read eight. of what he was saying on Friday is not 
that rates have to race higher from here. It's that once we get to whatever level we're headed to, they may just stay there for a while. And so you're going to have to get used to that as essentially the baseline cost of money in the economy. The other piece of it, I think, is, and the market kind of gets this, is whether he believes or not they have a long way to go in hiking, whether he believes or not they're not going to take a pause, he has to say that they have the resolve. He, he, because he doesn't want the market to kind of front run that and then it unwinds what, part of what he's but doing. he's on a much more aggressive on Friday than he No, he, he absolutely has, did. But, really. but how do you not, right? I mean, that's, I mean, because he What's was preceded by people who were tr say, trying to say, oh, if we go half a percent in September, that's still pretty, that's still pretty aggressive because they were trying to make sure the market didn't get this idea that they were setting up a dovish pivot. Jackson Hole was big, but now we need to know whether employment is a, really is a lagging indicator because maybe we see something on Friday that gives us a little breathing room. Joining us now, Mohamed El Arian, Allianz and Gramercy, Gramercy Advisors uh, and Queens College Cambridge President. Uh, got all your titles, Mohamed. Good to see you here. Um, let's talk about Friday um, in terms of what Jay Powell sought to do, what the markets picked up from what he was saying, which essentially was we have a sole mandate. It is inflation. It might cause more economic pain than maybe the markets have been pricing, at least the stock market. Uh, so get ready. Where is the issue in that? Did he, did he send the correct message? So he finally sent the correct message. He should have done that months ago. He was unambiguous. He was clear. He stuck to his script. And he did it in eight minutes. And the market is starting to realize that when your Fed chair mentioned inflation 45 times in eight minutes, something is changing. That's the good news. The less good news is he didn't deal with the policy errors of the last 18 months. So you have Jeremy Siegel, for example, coming on and saying, well, what does this mean? Um, he should do that at some point. And he hasn't dealt with the fact that they have a monetary framework that's not fit for purpose. So. If he sticks to his script, we should expect more hawkish talk as we go forward. But there are people who doubt that he will. So that's where the ambiguity is, and that's something that the market's going to have to navigate through. I mean, on some level, it was really a reiteration of where he and other Fed officials have already been for months, right? I mean, they have said they're not looking for a moment to, to reverse policy toward easing. They have said we still have to uh, have significant tightening moves from, for the rest of this year. They have said uh, they need multiple months of inflation to come down before they, they, they change that, that story. So um, why do you think um, this was lacking if he was essentially just in a more vociferous way saying what they've been already saying? Because of what he didn't say. So as Joe pointed out earlier, he didn't talk about a softish landing. Um, he didn't do the pivot that he did at his press conference when suddenly out of the blue, he brings in the notion of neutral, something that Larry Summers called analytically um, indefensible and inexplicable. So the fact that he stuck to the script made him come across as consistently hawkish, something that hasn't happened in the past. Mm -hmm. but although he hasn't had any pain yet the jobs numbers are still good still people still not convinced we're, we're going to have a recession or or that we're in one it hasn't gotten hard yet for him to stick to his guns did, are you did you think uh, jeremy siegel was dovish i thought he was dovish he was saying don't go crazy yeah. uh don't go crazy um jay powell be data dependent and you know don't get caught up fighting the battle of the 70s if it's not the battle of the 70s. Are you more hawkish than Jeremy Siegel? So to be clear, what, what Jeremy said or what I heard him say 
is we already had one Fed mistake, which is the transitory Same. being very late, etc. Don't stay too Now long. we risk a second Fed mistake of being of being reacting, as you said, battling with the past, not with the future. Um, so that's what he said. He, he didn't. He wasn't dovish. He said, on the contrary, we may end up with a too hawkish mistake. Do you. Um, this is all front and center now for the market. So we're right. going to have our, our, our old discussion now about. So I want to ask you a question on that. If we were to make the bet today. Well, that we can. That's what I was going to ask you too, because we're right back where we started. Almost. Thirty-nine ninety-eight. We're just a little bit above. We're, Correct. We're down forty on the S and P's this morning. That'll put us at about four thousand. So we can both take back our bets. We can cover. We can both cover and say, let's let's just. Well, neither one of us was right. You won't pay me the tacos. I won't have to take you to to a Mets game. Should we do that at four thousand? So what do you want to do? I don't know. Do you still think we're going? You might want to cover. Do you think we're going to thirty-six hundred still? So thirty-six hundred is the number you put out there, and that's and the one that was the ten yeah, percent up a, or ten percent down. What I, comes I, next? Where we we go lower before we go higher? Do we go to thirty-six hundred first, or that the bet is thirty-six hundred, or forty-four hundred? We, four, go to 40, 4, we, we go almost to 4, got there. You, you were you were sweating. I was I was ready to declare defeat. You were. Yep. It's not, but now, four, three, now four. I'm ready to cover because I think. Are you ready to cover? No, because now I th- I'm looking at the markets today. Hey, do we know everything bad now, Mike? Well, I think there's a there's a case to be made that the markets were already uncomfortable. The market was was already pricing at a certain probability that you'd have a, a rough patch in the economy. Uh, I, you can't say it's all in the market, uh, of course. But I, I wonder, uh, Mohammed. I mean, you suggested. That Powell's, you know, the the entirety of his uh, communication has not necessarily been complete. Um, but you know, the market—if you look at the market-based inflation expectations—they responded right away to what he had to say. In other words, why should he care if he hasn't yet given a full, uh, you know, kind of confession about how they missed signals on the way at this point when the market seems to be coming in line to what? He's likely to do next. So first, you have to say which market. Yeah. Right. I mean, the two-year took out the highs of June. Yeah. Stocks have not taken out the lows. Sure. Right. We all talked about disconnects. Disconnects between bonds and and stocks. Disconnect between the Fed and the market. Disconnect between the economy, and the markets. All that was a function of communication not being clear. So first of all, the second thing he had to face is that financial conditions loosened significantly. At a time when he was trying to tighten financial conditions, so he had to realign expectations. He had no choice. Now the question is, does he follow through? There's, there's no doubt he felt he had to, to, to realign yeah. things. But the market, as I was saying before, they don't strictly follow. It's not just about the path of the Fed rates. It's also about how inflation is likely to come through. The market's trying to kind of think two steps ahead of of what policymakers are right now. So, do you actually think that inflation is on a glide path that's going to be more benign, or, or or not? So, I think headline inflation will continue to come down. I think core will prove uncomfortably sticky for the Fed. I think what the market hasn't quite grasped are three things. One is the global economy is slowing at a much faster rate, and if you go beyond the U.S., it looks terrible. The U.S. is the best among. All the other major economies. So the first thing is to what extent the market has understood the, the, the slowing of the global economy. The second issue that I don't think the market has fully internalized is other central banks are going to become a lot more hawkish. The ECB narrative this weekend was notably hawkish. And the third thing the market has got to recognize is how do you deal in a world of dispersion? 
you know, we're coming from a world in which everybody was subject to the same common shock. Now we're seeing differences and you have to navigate this. So I, I think there's more volatility ahead, but this is going to be a really interesting time for active managers. You know, front page of the Wall Street Journal today, right? Bets against the S&P 500 reach record level. So speculators have been positioned for further weakness. You have the futures uh, exposures look like they're, they're really expecting more downside. That, in theory, creates a little bit of a buffer, or at least it says when we were down 24% from a high in mid-June, you had enough uh, of a kind of recession risk earnings erosion in the market then uh, to, to, to do us okay for now. Again, you can point to the 2000 to 2003 path. You had a lot, you had 20% rallies along the way and you still made new lows. So I don't think it's decided, but uh, I also think it's very comforting that people already are quite worried. So what I look at a lot are the flows. Okay, and the strong variant of the flows is there's a lot of cash on the sideline that can still come in. People were relatively defensively uh, positioned. And if they get a sense that it's still clear, they'll come in. That's yeah. the strong variant. The weak variant is there's nowhere else to go. Right. right. So look at the flows. Is that going to help us navigate what's Is the there end? still nowhere else to go, though, with 3.5% uh, in the two-year treasury? Well, and that's where the hawkish Fed comes in. Yeah. Right. I mean, as you pointed out, the two-year is at levels we have not seen in decades. The, would you say, bottom line, that, that you would pivot, I love pivot, pivot, would you pivot from selling strength into buying dips again yet? So I would do it on individual stocks. Well, what else would you do? Okay. No, so, no, no. So you're you could, saying you, you could apply. Is that a change for you? Is that it? Yeah, I know. But no, is no, that, that a change for you? Been, that's been pretty consistent because okay. I believe. So you don't. You're not any more bullish at all at this point, given the strength of that summer rally. Put it this way. I am less confident that we're going to get to 3,600 right. because I think the technicals are resilient and they've put up with a lot. Yeah, you're glad that that I didn't ask for a new Porsche, it, it, that it was a box of tacos. You're glad that that's the bet. It's not just any tacos, it's Taco Bell. No, you're, you're right. And Andrew, I had a bet with him. He got me these gluten-free uh, vegan tacos. It's like, <laughs> you know, that's like you winning. I don't even that's want right. these. He won that. Yeah, it's like yeah. him winning. Thank you, Mohamed, uh, and thank you for being here. Coming up on Squawk Pod. What do you think? Are, are UFOs real? We're heading to the moon again, almost. We're talking about the Artemis launch that, well, it didn't take off, but it is the big picture that matters. Astronomer Derek Pitts. This does not necessarily mean that all of the civilizations in the universe live in isolation. It just means that the chances that we're actually going to meet each other are far lower than you might want that chance to be. Squawk in Space, right after this. Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. 
Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC today with Joe Kernan and Mike Santoli. Here's Mike. NASA plans to launch the Artemis 1 mission today from Kennedy Space Center in Florida, sending the Space Launch System rocket and Orion capsule on a more than month-long journey around the moon. The uncrewed launch marks the debut of the most powerful rocket ever assembled and kicks off NASA's long-awaited return to the moon's surface. It's the first mission in NASA's Artemis lunar program, which is expected to land the agency's astronauts on the moon by its third mission, 2025. I like the moon. I like the... I'm, I've given up on the on the, the the cultural references. When you hear Artemis, what do you I, what do you think of? I immediately think of Artemis Gordon. First thing I think of. Nobody else does, and I'm not even going to bring it up from Wild World. So I'm not. Even, but it's not my thing. Do you know who Artemis? Do you know in what, Greek mythology? You mean she was all about the moon. She was all about the moon. In addition to the goddess of the hunt, the wilderness, wild animals, she had a lot going on. Nature, vegetation, childbirth, care of children, and chastity. Can you imagine? I mean, that is like, that's a lot to be concerned with. But a lot of her time she spent with other lunar deities running around the force. So that's, if anyone was wondering, and maybe you weren't actually wondering, but that doesn't matter because I was wondering. So now you know. But that's who, that's where Artemis comes from. Was was she not also the twin of Apollo? She would, the Roman goddess is Diana, if you're looking for who Artemis was in But I thought there was some link to the Apollo uh, mission that NASA had, which actually went to the moon. Probably, but this is, yeah, right. But this is more, I mean, she is a a deity most known for for being a lunar deity, along with uh, Selene and how do you say Hecate? S H E C A T E. I think it's just Hecate, I guess. I don't know. It's not Latin, right? It's not Hecate. News just breaking Artemis. Artemis that, uh, it has been scrubbed. Uh, the, the launch was set for right about now. It has been scrubbed. Uh, the, uh, the uncrewed mission uh, will be the uh, space agency's first step to return humans to the moon after 50 years. Uh, and we're going to bring in Derek Pitts now, chief astronomer and director of the Fells Planetarium at the Franklin Institute. And Derek, we, we finally figured out earlier that, uh, that Artemis was the twin of Apollo. So we got that. Uh, now we understand that the Apollo missions, the Artemis missions, it, it all makes sense good. now. It all, it all makes sense now. When they said that there was a crack somewhere and we're, we were going to look at it for two hours, it sounded to us then like, like maybe we ought to make this another day. Is, is that what happened? Yeah, there were a couple of issues uh, that cropped up in the last hour, two hours or so, uh, after everything had been fueled up. And as it turns out, two out of those three weren't going to be a problem. There was an intertank fairing crack that you're talking about that really wasn't a problem. There was a little bit of an insulation issue. That wasn't going to be the problem. What actually caught the mission up today is that they were having difficulties dialing in the chill-down procedure on the liquid hydrogen side for engine number three. It's critical that all four engines, this rocket uses four engines, these four engines all be at the same stage of pre-chill by flowing uh, cryogenic liquids through the uh, tubing and the mechanisms of the engine to get them down to the right temperature. And they couldn't get engine number three dialed in. And they tried all kinds of things to make it work. 
but they just couldn't get it dialed in. And this is the actual. This is actually the first time on this particular engine they'd been able to run that chill down sequence fully. And so uh, here's the first test. And this is the reason why they call this flight test. It's because they need to test everything to make sure it's going to work properly. Any reason to to send a manned expedition back to to the moon? In your view. Derek, I mean, we don't even yeah, want to drive. We don't even want to drive our cars anymore. We're trying to, you know, we want man out of everything, <laughs> but we can do everything without uh, a, a manned flight, can't we? Or, or we're going to go back to that eventually for the moon. You know, space exploration has done wonders using remote explorers, robots on surface, on planet surfaces, on the moon, and on Mars in particular. We've seen tremendous work done on Mars without humans being there. But if you want to send humans to Mars at some point in the future, then we need to do some serious in-situ training. And that in-situ training is going to happen on the moon because we can't actually send people out to Mars to train them. We have to do it someplace that's close. It's going to take a long time to get to Mars uh, based on current technologies. So since it's only a three-day trip out to the moon, um, it's an easy place for us to do that kind of testing. Do we have to do that? We don't have to do that. We can use robotic methods to do the exploration we want, but there are certain kinds of observations and integration of data that humans do best. And if we can have humans there, that can happen. It's a big risk. Yes, that's true. But there's also the part of us that um, makes us explorers, and we will want to do this, and we will do everything we can to mitigate the risks so that humans can make that that big trip. Are, are there advantages to having a, a stopping point on the moon versus the International Space Station? We do a lot of experiments in zero gravity. I mean, it, it, and um, I, I figure that's one of the, the big advantages to the space station. But would we like an interim stop uh, on, on something on the moon where we could send people and they come home, we send other people? Is that in the in the cards there? Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's the way we're gonna use the systems is that we're, we're gonna build up our capability on the moon and then uh, not only use it as a testing place, but it can be a way station along the way to get everything pulled together for that longer trip out to out to Mars. And since you know the moon is 240,000 miles average further away from Earth, that gives us a little bit of jump, and it takes us a further away from the Earth's gravitational pull. And that's an advantage also, because that means we can devote more to payload and less to fuel when we're trying to get away from the Earth's gravitational field. And of course, if you're going out to Mars, you want to take uh, as much material as you can to assure a successful mission. What's left on, on the moon for us to discover just in terms of cosmology and, and the universe? Still anything left? We don't have an answer yet. We don't have the definitive answer as to the moon's origin, but we know that there's an intimate connection between the moon's origin and uh, what we could say was a close encounter of the fourth kind back a while ago between the Earth and the moon. So there's something going on there. But we also have to think about how to use the moon in terms of what resources it has that it can contribute to our further exploration of the solar system. So, you know, the plan is, let's go visit some of those craters in the south, in the shaded south pole portion of the moon, where we might be able to find ices that can provide uh, the constituents we need for fuel, for water, for oxygen. That way we don't have to carry those materials to the moon and we can use those materials to build up whatever we need to uh, head out to Mars. Derek, can I ask you a, a philosophical question for the, for the current state of, of thinking on this? Because we, we have yeah. a little time. So I've always thought that 
that E equals MC squared means we can't go faster than the speed of light because you go to infinite mass. So the distances of the universe are so vast that even though I think there's, I don't know, how many civilizations out there? Billions, do you think? Because it's, it's so vast. <laughs> but can, they find, can we get there? Can they get here? Can you, can you get around that, uh, that obstacle to, to traveling faster than the speed of light? Can you go into a, a wormhole and come out somewhere else in a, in a space-time continuum? What, what do you think? Are, are UFOs real? Who puts you up to that question? <laughs> I think about this my whole life. I've been thinking about it my That's whole a, life. You know, these are... These are really good questions, and they do need to be considered because, you know, look, the physics that we have to abide by, the laws of physics that we have to abide by, every other civilization in the universe has to abide by those laws too. So just as it is for us that we can't travel faster than the speed of light, neither can they. That also means that for all of us in the universe that have the capability of space travel, any trip across a galaxy, across the universe, from galaxy to galaxy, is going to take a very, very, very long time, like hundreds, thousands of years to make that happen. Even if we can get close to the speed of light, it's still going to take a long time. Now, this does not necessarily mean that all of the civilizations in the universe live in isolation. It just means that the chances that we're actually going to meet each other are far lower then you might want that chance to be. But that doesn't mean we can't figure out a way to communicate, even though there's a huge time lag or a way for us to recognize the existence of other civilizations. Do we know of any other civilizations in the universe at this time? No, we do not. We are it. But probability, if you work the numbers, probability says it's likely that there is another civilization out there somewhere simply because of the sheer numbers of stars and planets right. existing in every galaxy multiplied by a trillion. Right. That's when I say I don't believe in that aliens have come here. People say, well, you're stupid. And I go, no, of course. I think there's millions of other civilizations. I just don't know how we, f we get to each other unless we can. Just not here yet. I want to go out there. And, I want to go out there and come back. Of course, I won't know anyone. Everybody will be dead. Yeah, that's, that's and true, too. Yeah, that's, and I'll still that's also be true. My, my age. All right. Hey, Derek, maybe that's a good thing. Thanks. You weren't expecting that. And no one put me up there. I've been thinking about this for a long time, but, uh, but thanks for, that was a great answer, Derek. Happy I, I to talk it. about it. Thanks. Okay. Good. Uh, ho hopefully I have you back. I'll have another one for you. I'm going to have another great. one for you. All right. See you. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening and starting your week with us. Squawk Box is hosted most of the time by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin on weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, 
No one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.